Hi, I'm Brett Fuller, and this is your 15. The question for these 15 minutes today is, who is Jesus? What a question. Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And the, the, the disciples responded in various ways. They said, well, some people say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets or someone from old who has come back to give us a wonderful message. And then he pointed the question to them and said, but who do you say that I am? And I imagine there was a long pause at this point because nobody wanted to get this answer wrong. You want to make sure out of all the questions that Jesus might ask that you get his identity correct. And Peter then piped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, when we understand who Jesus is in reality, it's only because the Father reveals Him to us. We can't get it by way of information. We can't get it because we just go to church and sit in the room and listen to some good preaching. We can't get it just by reading a book. All those things are important foundational things that build a basis upon which God can speak to us. But we don't get it just by information only. It must come by revelation. And today, we're going to speak on three levels. One about Jesus being the Son of God, two, about Jesus being the Son of Man, and three, Jesus being the Lamb of God. It's important that, that everybody understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He wasn't just another man born of a woman who came to do some nice moral things. Jesus was actually divinity in flesh. We understand him to be one who was existent before he became a child or before he wrapped himself in human flesh, that he was actually God well before Mary ever conceived him in her womb. And being God, this allowed him the privilege of having a sense of, 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 of nature that be, went beyond what human flesh could ever attain. He was perfect in his orientation. Yet, <clears throat> while he was in flesh, he was tempted in every way just like us. And although he looked like us, he had hands and arms and walked on the planet just like us, you would not be able to tell somehow that he was a god simply by looking at him. There was something beyond the flesh that allowed people and at least people who were discerning and other spiritual beings to know who he really was. In Luke chapter 8, we see him confronting a man who was possessed by many demons. And this man was, was uh, looking to harm him and the disciples. And then all of a sudden, he looked at Jesus and realized who he was. And, and, and the demons began to speak and said, Oh, you, we know who you are, Jesus. What do you have to do with us? Are you coming to torment us before the time? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here we have the, the demons, a demonic manifestation, proclaiming who Christ was. When Mary was there ready to receive the angelic visitation and the information about who she would bear, the angel said, you will bear a son, and he will be the son of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, talk about Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God. It is important that we understand that Jesus is the son of almighty God. And even Caiaphas, who happened to be the high priest, when Jesus was being given over for crucifixion, tried to do everything he could to say, confess this thing that you have been accused of. Are you really the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, it is as you say. 
It's important that we get this point because Jesus was not just another man, yet he was fully man. Being the Son of God and the Son of Man does not make Jesus some 50-50 composite. He's actually 100% God and 100% man. This is the beauty of the incarnation, yet the mystery of it. Our minds really can't, we can't wrap our minds around it. It's just too difficult for us to understand, but it's nonetheless true. And as we go from now, him being the Son of God to the Son of Man, it's important that we understand he was fully man. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 5 takes great pains to talk about his humanity. And he says, there was a man named Adam who brought transgression into the world. And this transgression led to death. And because he happened to be the first man, he transferred that transgression and death down to all of his progeny. Yet there was somebody else who came, i.e. a second Adam, another man who lived a righteous life. And as a result of his righteous life, he was able to transfer righteousness to us. And then Paul does an amazing thing. He says this second Adam, if you will, not only balanced the scales, but he made them unbalanced by making the life of Christ much more powerful than the transgression, transgression of Adam. And Adam was the one who sinned, and his one sin transferred death to all of us, yet Christ's perfect life transferred life to all of us. And as a result of Christ living perfectly for 33 years, it overcame Adam's one transgression. And that grace was given to us so that we can now live well. What was the point, purpose in, in Paul saying this? He was trying to communicate to the Romans that Jesus was a man who had to endure the same kind of things that Adam did, and yet he did not sin. He was, a, he was tempted in every way, it says in Hebrews, yet without sin. He was fully human. We see in Matthew chapter 4, where he was tempted by the enemy. After we see him being baptized by John the Baptist, it says, that he was led out into the wilderness and tempted by the enemy in the same ways that Adam and Eve were tempted. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, that Adam and Eve were tempted according to the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. When Adam and Eve looked at the fruit, it says it was pleasing to the eye, it was desirable for food, and it was given the ability, it seemed, to make one wise. And so they took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. Indeed, Jesus had the same kind of temptation when he was in the wilderness, proving that he was fully man, just like Adam and Eve. The enemy came to him and said, you're hungry, aren't you? Because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And, and, and he said, if you're hungry, go ahead and turn this stone into bread. And when you do that, you can satisfy your hunger. What is that? Desirable for food. Jesus said this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the enemy took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're all that you are, go ahead and throw yourself off because the angels, the Bible says, will give charge concerning you and you won't strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, well, that might be true, but the Bible also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Boastful pride of life. I can do anything and get away with it. Lastly, he took him to a high mountain and said, 
look at this, and showed him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world. He said, it's all mine. I will give it to you if you just bow before me. Christ's eyes had to be just stimulated by what he saw. Desirable to the eyes, lust to the eyes. And he says, the Bible says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the same three ways that Adam and Eve were tempted, so Jesus was, yet he passed the test. And for the balance of his ministry and even before that, he passed every test. He was a man, tempted in every way, just like us, yet without sin. Further proof is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, where it says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient to the death on, on a cross. And, and, and he humbled himself and, and came in the form of a servant. And, and this kind of servant gave himself over to sinful man so that they might crucify him for our benefit. He bled. He died. They buried him. He was all man, yet he was all God. And lastly, the crucifixion leads us to the fact that Jesus was the Lamb, the one who would take away our sin. When John the Baptist, who happened to be a cousin of Jesus, saw him, and John was ministering at the River Jordan, he looked at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John knew something that the rest of the populace did not, that somebody was going to have to die on behalf of mankind. Somebody was going to have to bear the sin, even as the Passover lamb was the sacrificial lamb that, that was exemplary of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, something dying in order to produce deliverance from sin. And indeed, Jesus would be that Passover lamb. Other folk didn't get that, but John understood something about Jesus being the lamb. This is a, a man who could have, at any moment, used his divinity to get out of his pain. When he was before the high priest, when he was going through this ordeal with the government of Rome, and, and, and Pontius Pilate happened to be the one he was before, uh, as, just before he was going to be crucified. Pontius said, do you know I have authority over you and I can let you go if, you, if, if, I, want, if I want to? Do you realize the kind of power I have over you? And Jesus looked at him and said, you only have the kind of power that the Father dispenses. You wouldn't have it unless my Father gave it to you. And I want you to know, though, though you think you have power, I could dispatch six legions of angels right now if I wanted to. The legion was someplace in the neighborhood of 6,000. And so we're talking about multi-thousands of angels, Jesus said. He could put in, in, at, at, use at his disposal to deliver himself if he wanted to, yet he did not. He could have used his divinity to get out of the pain of his humanity, but he did not because he realized he was called to be the lamb that was sacrificed for our benefit. Paul said, though we were dead in our transgressions and sins in Ephesians 2, God had great mercy and he poured it lavishly out on us by allowing Jesus Christ to die for our sins. That lamb was sacrificed so that our lives did not have to be sacrificed. We need, we need to understand every day how important the sacrifice of the lamb is for us, that we could not be forgiven had blood not been spilled. It's not enough just to ask God for remission of your sins. 
It says that blood is the only way that sin can be wiped away. Well, you say, why couldn't somebody else die for me? Why did Jesus have to come? Well, generally speaking, everybody has sinned. So everybody's going to have to suffer for their own sin. Nobody can die for each other because the wages of sin is death. And because the wages of sin is death, everybody has to die their own death. So I can't take the place of somebody else, though I would want to, though I might love somebody deeply enough, it would not be efficacious. It wouldn't work. There had to be somebody who had never sinned, that had the blood that was untainted by rebellion. And he was then able to spill it on our behalf and take our death, be our sacrificial lamb, so that we did not have to die. Indeed, Jesus did that. And he knew he was going to go through this kind of ordeal. He didn't want to. Jumping back to being the Son of Man and fully human the night before he was betrayed. He, he spent time in prayer with the Father and said, if there's any way this cup could pass, please let it pass. His humanity did not want to go through this moment. He would suffer more than any man had ever suffered. We see in Isaiah 53 how he suffered in particular. The chastisement for our peace fell on him. He is our suffering servant. He is the lamb that was slain for our benefit. And as a result of him being slain, we now can live. When we petition the Father for forgiveness of sins, we have the confidence that that, that request is going to be answered because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sin, all of our transgression. It even covers the stuff that we haven't done. God has already made provision for the sins that we will commit. God forbid that we commit them, but there's nobody out there who hasn't done something that's wrong, and there's probably nobody out there who won't do something that's wrong. And so God thinks about our future, and indeed, our sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of Man. And Jesus is the Lamb that was slain for our transgressions. May you enjoy the fact of understanding more about who Jesus is. This has been your 15.